0: All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to two uh, passages of Scripture. Uh, go to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, put a marker there, and then turn to James chapter 5. Old Testament, 1 Kings 19, uh, New Testament, James chapter 5. So the kings are there with like the Samuel, you know, First and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and Second Chronicles. So I'll give you a chance to find that. And then uh, James chapter 5. Okay, so we're going to start James chapter 5. All right. Uh, I want to ask you a question while you're finding that uh, passage. I want to ask you a question. Uh, Would you like to move to another level of joy in your life? Is there anybody that wants to move to a new level, another level of joy in your life? Yes. Yes. Or you're just loving life, you're loving doing ministry, you're walking in the Spirit, and you're, you know what, and you're just having fun. I mean, I, you know, you're having fun, that kind of joy. Uh, joy or rejoice or joyful, did you know, is in Scripture in some form 430 times. 430 times. Now, the word fun is a modern word that came about in about the 17th century, okay? Uh, But that word also in translation uh, is used in Scripture 142 times. Did you know that? 142 times. So here's my point. Joy and enjoyment and fun comes from God. God created fun... But Satan perverted it. Okay, God created joy. Satan perverted it. God created the world for his pleasure and for our pleasure. Uh, the reason that he created the stars are to reflect his glory, but for us to enjoy his creation. The reason that he created the mountains. He knew before he formed him, before He formed them that we would enjoy climbing up and skiing down them. Or falling down, if, if you want to be me. He knew that we would use creativity and desire for enjoyment to come up with games to play, like baseball or football or basketball, those kinds of things. God knew all of that before the foundations of the world. He wanted us to enjoy life, and it's okay for us to enjoy life. It's okay for us to have fun, but I'm going to tell you one person who doesn't want you to, and that's Satan. He does not want you to enjoy life. He does not want you to have fun at all. And one of the first things that Satan will steal from us is our joy. He'll steal it. And here's how he does it. I'm going to tell you how he does it. He works to discourage us. And see, once he gets us discouraged, he steals our joy. And when he steals our joy, we're not having fun anymore. Now, if you would to look at the word discouragement, I don't know if it's up there, but you, it's right there. There you go. Discouragement. Look at the word for just a minute. There's a root word, and then there's a prefix and a suffix. Did I lose you? Okay, you got it. There's a root word, a prefix, and a suffix. Okay, now, for that word discouragement, if you take away the prefix and the suffix, what word do you have left? Courage. All right. Now, if you add the prefix dis, dis means to take out. All right, so if you were to, if you were to say encourage, in that prefix, what does that mean? To put in. Dis means to take out, in puts to put in. So to encourage someone, okay? It means to put courage into that person. Yes or no? Okay. See, any time that you encourage your wife or your husband or your kids, anytime you walk up to someone and you encourage you to say anything encouraging, you're putting courage into that person. You're adding courage to their life. But anytime that we say something discouraging or something discouraging is said to us, we're taking out courage. Now listen to me. That's what Satan does all the time. I mean all the time. 24-7, Satan is constantly speaking discouragement into our lives. Constantly. He comes to discourage you. He wants to still kill and destroy your joy. If you're hearing or feeling things like you're going to get sick or you're going to die early, you're going to get hurt if you do that, you're no good at that, you better just stop doing that, you're going to lose your marriage, you're going to lose your business. If you're hearing and feeling those kinds of things, if those kinds of statements are rattling around in your head, that's the enemy trying to take courage out of you. And once he gets you to lose courage, he will steal your joy. See, the truth is, you cannot be discouraged and be happy. So today we're going to take a look at a man of God who got discouraged. The title of this message today, as you see, is dumping discouragement. Anybody here want to dump some discouragement today? I I think... If you've come in discouraged, I think by the end, of, I'm praying that by the end of this message we walk out encouraged. We we're gonna let the Word of God and the Spirit of God put courage into us. Sound good with you? Is that all right with you? All right. I'm gonna ask if you stand. We're gonna begin reading James five, James chapter five. We're gonna start in verse thirteen. But before we do, we're gonna pray. Ask the Lord to to uh, reveal truth to us. So would you do that? Would you? So, Lord, today, I come before you and, Lord, I I bow before you, Lord. And I humble my heart, God, asking you to fill me, Lord. Fill me to overflowing. And I surrender to you. Thank you for how you've spoken this word to me this week. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak encouragement into our lives today. Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you just let the words jump out on the page like they never have before? For every man and woman in this room. And Lord, would you speak so loudly to us that we cannot ignore? And Lord, we'll be careful to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Remain standing. Here we go. Uh, James chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13. Everybody with me? Okay. Are any of you suffering from hardship? You should, what's the word? Pray. What is prayer, by the way? It's communication with who? You're talking to God. And does he talk to you in prayer? You better believe he does. Okay, so are any of you suffering hardship? You need to talk to God. Pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And at the conclusion of this service, we're going to do that. So uh, Heidi's here today, isn't she? Okay, so at the conclusion of the service, we're going, to have, we're, going, we're going to call and we're going to pray over her. We're going to do that, as Scripture says. Verse 15. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. Do you believe that today? Amen. Do you believe the Word of God? Amen. Okay. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and, what's the word? Pray Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power to produce wonderful results. Now look at this. Elijah, and he's who we're going to talk about today, was as human as we are. And yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. All right. All right. Did you pick up on the phrase there that it said, Elijah was just as human as we are? Did you pick up on that? Just as human as we are. But, see, here's the deal. He earnestly prayed. Now, this is... um, In that phrase, he earnestly prayed, if you do a little bit of digging, it's actually a a Hebraistic form of emphasis. It was part of their literature, and here's what it means. It means that he prayed in his prayer. He prayed in his prayer. Now, if you dig into what that means, here's what it means. This was not just a normal, sweet, passing prayer offering to the Lord. What that means is, is Elijah went into the deep of his prayer within his prayer. Have you ever been in prayer and the Lord just pulled you deeper into prayer as you were praying? I mean, and you just started pouring your heart out to God in the midst of the prayer. I mean, you were praying and then you started praying. And it wasn't you that was praying anymore, but you realized something else was happening in you, and you were earnestly pouring out your heart to God, and you were praying in the prayer. That's what he's talking about. Elijah was in prayer, and he was earnestly praying in the prayer, in the deep of his prayer. See, here's here's what we see in Scripture when you're praying for the hand of God to move as Elijah was praying in a situation. It is not done with casual conversations with God. We can have casual conversations with God because he's our best friend and we can talk to him like he is our best friend. But then there are moments that we talk to him and then we just need to go deep because he's the father. And when we see the hand of God move, he always quickens his people to go deep in fervent and earnest prayer from someone who's walking with the Lord every single time. Read scripture every single time. So Elijah was earnestly praying that this, that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and then it rained. See, listen. The results of a natural, ordinary man. He was natural and ordinary, just like you and I are natural and ordinary. There's a reason that Scripture said that, so that we can relate to Him. But there's something, the results of a natural, ordinary man praying earnestly was supernatural. The results were supernatural. It was supernatural because he had a relationship with a supernatural God. That's why. See, it's easy to think that Elijah had some advantages more than what we did. See, we want to think that. Elijah is what I call a spiritual heavyweight. But that's not true. Do you realize it's actually the exact opposite? In fact, we actually have advantages that Elijah did not have. See, because if you're a believer... You have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, and when you're living in the empowerment of the indwelling Holy Spirit, see, you'll be living life with an advantage that Elijah didn't have in that moment. You follow me? See, in fact, Jesus said to his disciples, It's to your advantage that I go away. Jesus himself said that, that I go away because if I go away, I'll send him. Who's him? The Holy Spirit. It ain't a force, it ain't a thing, it's a person. It's a him. Okay? And then he says, it's going to be better for you that I'm not living on earth because I'm sending him. Because I'm going to send someone that's not just in one city at one time or filling here and filling there. I'm going to send someone that's going to be all over the world all at one time. And, and that's going to be in the hearts of my people. And ready to empower them to do miraculous things. Now let me ask you. If Elijah was human like us, did he experience discouragement like you and I do? Of course he did. Absolutely he did. Now, turn over to 1 Kings 19. I want to show you how Elijah got discouraged and then how God dealt with the discouragement. All right, 1 Kings 19. And I think... God's ways of dealing with discouragement are worth noting, don't you? Amen. All right, let's see what we can learn. See, here's the deal. Elijah didn't have anyone else around to talk to. We're going to look, see that. He didn't have anyone to encourage him except God. Now, it's interestingly enough, Elijah, let me give you some context. Elijah is coming off of a great ministry victory. Okay, he made the prophecy that it would not rain, and it didn't. He did. He went that three and a half years. Okay, and then we get to the end of chapter 18, the one that's right before where we are, and he gathers all the false prophets together. Remember that's you. You know the You tracking with me on the story? The 450 prophets of Baal, the uh, 400 uh, prophets of Asherah. So there's 850 prophets that he false prophets that he gathers together. And Elijah says, you go build your altar, I'll build my altar, I'll pray, you pray, and the God who answers by fire is the true God. He put his neck out on the line there, but not really. And they did that all day. I mean, they built the altar, and all day, man, they were just crying out, crying out, crying out. And then when the evening came, when it was time to see whose God was God, Elijah he upped the ante. Yeah, I like that. I like that. He upped the ante. And he dug a trench around the altar. Around his altar, right? And he got some water and he poured over the the, uh, sacrifice that was on the altar. He poured it. And the water ran. It was so much water he poured on until it filled up the trench that he dug around the altar. And then Elijah says, God... To show that you're God, to show your glory, and that I'm your man, send fire from heaven. Now, fire came down from heaven, and boy, did it come down! Because not only did it lick up all the water in the ditch, as Scripture describes it, it burned the sacrifice and the wood, and it burned up all the stones that was built on the, made the altar. Do you know that? That's a hot fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire, by the way. And don't you know in that moment that Elijah was encouraged? I mean, wouldn't you be, and you called down, and you said, God, you be God, and he showed up, and you're like, yeah, he showed up. I'm encouraged. Praise God. He probably went, thank you, God. Probably did. Don't you think it was fun to watch the power of God move in that moment? Oh, that's fun to me. I tell you, the funnest thing on the planet is watching the, the spirit of God move. Elijah had a great day of ministry. I mean a great day, but I want you to look what happens the next day. Look what happens the next day. 1 Kings 19.1 Now, when Ahab got home, now, this is King Ahab, by the way. King Ahab was a wicked king. He had an even more wicked wife. Her name was Jezebel. All right, now, Revelation, sh- Revelation talks about Jezebel, Jesus himself. Remember when he's talking to the church in Thyatira, I believe it is. And he said that woman, Jezebel. He wasn't talking about a woman. He was talking about the spirit that was operating The the Jezebel spirit that not only was operating in the Jezebel that we're about to read about, but it's it's in operation. That's what Jesus was talking about. That spirit gave him gave her time to repent. Okay, I'm telling. It's evil, Jezebel spirit, Ahab spirit. When Ahab got home, okay, this is Ahab, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Jezebel sent that word to Elijah. Now when Elijah read the message, look at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah and he left his servant there then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day and he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die he wanted to die he had, the day before he had just he had god had just sent down fire from heaven he had a wonderful day of ministry and now the next day he wants to die i've had enough lord he said Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Listen, when you pray to die, I'm pretty sure you're not having a good day. I'm pretty sure you're not having fun. Wouldn't you say he was discouraged? Okay. Now, this is incredible about what follows. See, because God deals with this encouragement, this, this discouragement right here, himself. And he puts Elijah, this man of God, back on track for the rest of his life. It doesn't mean he doesn't go through struggles, but he does. it's a turning point for him when, when God meets with him. So I want to, to do it. See, Elijah continues to be a great man of God, but he has a, he's in a low time right now. Anybody ever had a low time? Yeah. And you might be here, be you might be in your low time. And when you're in a low time, when you're discouraged, you're, you're just not enjoying life. Anybody just like, I just don't enjoy life right now. I just want to run away. Anybody ever felt that way? You don't enjoy ministry. You're not enjoying the blessings of God, just like your head and your heart don't match. You're just like, I know I should be enjoying, but I'm not, if you're really honest before the Lord. I don't know of anybody on this planet that had not gone through that and won't go through that. That's just the world of sin we live in. So what does God want to do when we're discouraged? If you're taking notes, here's number one. God wants to refresh you. He wants to refresh you. Now look at verse 5, 1 Kings nineteen five. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Some translations say that was his cake. This is good. And so he ate and drank, and then he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank, and... The food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, Elijah is physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually drained. And he, 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 see, he, his, he didn't just call down fire from heaven. See, there were, there were three and a half years of strong warfare that was happening. Uh, Elijah, what many people don't realize is that Israel hated him. They hated him. Nobody liked Elijah. uh, Although Elijah had been doing what God had told him to do. See, that's the thing. Sometimes we think that if we're doing what God wants us to do, then we're going to just be, we're going to always have, be blessed and joyful and happy and all these things. That's not what we see in Scripture. Elijah had a tough three and a half years. Even though he was doing what God had called him to do, they hated him. So we didn't just have a bad day. He had bad three and a half years and he was just physically, emotionally, spiritually draining. Wouldn't you be? Now remember we, we saw in James 5 that he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. Prayed earnestly. He poured himself out emotionally and spiritually and mentally just praying. Just praying. And then it culminates With the great day of ministry. And then the enemy through the person of Jezebel attacks him. Listen to me. The enemy attacked him when he was doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. I want you to remember that. The enemy attacked him when he was doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. Some of you need to hear this today, I think. Because some of you are really earnestly seeking God. You're trying to live for the Lord, and you can't find refuge, you can't figure out why that you're under such attack. Why am I under such attack? I'm trying to press in. In fact, you've pressed into God more and more, and you're under even heavier attack, constantly pressed. And the enemy attack may come through a person that happens continually, constantly. And the enemy attacked Elijah when he was tired. When he was tired, that's when the enemy attacked. Have you ever been just down and tired and then you get attacked by the enemy? And you just want want to run away. So the first thing that Jesus did for Elijah was he refreshed him. He didn't even speak to him. Didn't even talk to him until he was refreshed. Didn't even talk to him. He sent an angel to him until he was physically refreshed. See, we need to understand, See, because you can be feeling now, God, why aren't you speaking to me? Why aren't you working? I need you to move. I need a word from you regarding this. Why won't you speak? You can't seem to get a word from God. It's just there. I'm telling you why you can't hear from God. is probably because you're too tired. Oh, let me give you an example. Have you ever tried to talk to a tired child a tired, tired child that's fussy, you ever tried to talk sense to them? It doesn't work. What does a child need when they're tired and fussy? What do they need? A nap. You go, go take a nap. I'm going to put you down for a nap. We'll talk later. See, I'm wondering if when we're discouraged and we're tired and we've been in warfare and then we can't even think straight and we want to just run away and you're saying, God, speak to me, encourage me. I wonder if God just doesn't say sometimes to us, no, go take a nap. You just need to go lay down. So I like this passage because then Elijah takes a nap and then the angel brings him some cake. He wakes up and there's cake there. Let it be known, the Bible prescribes a nap and some cake for refreshment. I can get on board with that. Now I'm going to tell you another word that we use a lot, but we don't think about the origin of the word. Uh, but it's also, it also has a prefix and a suffix to it. Uh, so I want to tell you the word, and then you take the prefix and the suffix away, and you tell me what the root word is. Here's the word. The word is recreation. That's the word. Recreation. Now, what's the prefix? Re. Okay. Re means do it again. To do something again. What's the suffix? Shun. Okay. Now, that verb is in action. That, that puts the verb in action. Uh, it's the action of. All right. So the root of the word is, is what? Create. Create. When we recreate, you're in the act of creating again. I want you to follow me because it's important for us. Now, God is a God of creation. Yes, created. But he's also a God of recreation. Yes or no? Yes. See, when you're born again, you're recreated. You're a new creation. God likes to create, and He likes to recreate. He likes to do it again. He likes to do something again in somebody else in in your life. He wants to do it again. I want to do it again. I'm going to recreate again. We're going to do it again. Now, when it comes to recreation, God created it. Satan perverted it. God wants you to recreate He wants you to rest. He wants you to be rejuvenated. That's why he built in a Sabbath. I mean, he built in a Sabbath as a gift for us, for rest and recreation. But beyond that, God knows that we need recreation or restoration and energy and encouragement. He knows that we need that. Now, what happens, though, when... Often when we actually do it. What do you feel when you're doing that sometimes? You, you feel guilty. I feel guilty sometimes when I'm recreating uh, because we feel like there's something else that we should be doing. See, we can believe this perverted lie that we must be doing something and we can't be idle. We've heard this phrase before, the idle, the idle hands are the devil's workshop. You heard that before, right? If you were raised right, you heard it, right? Okay, especially in the South. Your mama said, I don't hand the devil's workshop. Now, there's some truth to that, but then there's some perversion to that. See, we think, wasting, we think we're wasting time and resources if we recreate. And listen to me. Sometimes, I'm going to tell you, that's the best thing you can do for yourself. Sometimes the best thing you can do for yourself is go lay down and take a nap somewhere. See, God wants to refresh you. That's what he did for Elijah. He said, lay down just for a minute. Lay down. Here's number two. If you're discouraged, God wants to listen to you. Now, when we read in James, remember we read, and the word that was repeated over and over again was the P word. What was it? Pray. Okay, God wants to listen to you. Sometimes when we're discouraged, when you don't know what to pray for, you don't even have the energy to pray, we'll say, well, God knows my heart. You ever said that? God knows my heart, and he does. That's a true statement. He does know your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart and your thoughts better than you know your heart and your thoughts. He knows what you're going to think before you think it. But you need to know this. God actually wants to hear you talk. With your mouth, he wants to listen to you. Look at First Kings uh, nine. I don't know what verse this is. Not yet nine through ten. Here we go. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" And Elijah replied, "I have zealously served." The Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Now, do you realize how this conversation started? What did God do? How did it start? God asked him a question. Do you notice that? If you study the Bible any at all, you'll see that God asks questions a lot. Doesn't he? Why? Why? It's not because he don't know the answer. It's because he wants his people to talk to him. Do you remember when God asked Adam, Adam, where are you? You think God didn't know where Adam was? He didn't lose Adam. Adam didn't know where Adam was. But he asked Adam so Adam would talk to him. Because, listen to this, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the way we communicate with God is from our hearts, but it's through our mouths. And God wanted Adam to say what was on his heart so God could deal with it and help him through the situation. He asked the disciples, you remember when he said, who do you say that I am? Jesus knew exactly who they were saying he was. He knew that, but he asked them a question he, he, that he already knew the answer to. He wanted them to know. He wanted them He wanted them to say it. Now we can get this idea in our head that God doesn't want us to complain about our circumstances. Oh, I should not complain about our circ- my circumstances. God will not put up with my griping. I'm too blessed. I'm too blessed to be stressed. That's what we'll say. I, sh- I shouldn't do that. Guess what? Every book in the Bible has somebody griping to God about something. Every single solitary has... David griped a lot. Job griped a lot. The disciples, those knuckleheads griped a lot. And you know what the cool thing is? God is so secure, He can take your gripe. He can take your gripe. He can take all of the complaints that you have that you need to give Him. He can take them all. And sometimes you just need to say the truth that's on your heart, and you just need to get in and you need to pray in your prayer. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes in your prayer, when you're like, "Lord, lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to. No, that's not how I feel. Here's how I really feel. I'm so tired and I'm empty and I don't know what to do and I don't want to do this anymore and I can't stand this and I can't take another day of this and if you don't show up, I'm sunk. Now we can get down to business with God. And God can hear your heart. He already knows what's in your heart. He needs you to speak that out of your mouth. Be honest with God for crying out loud. Be honest with Him. Elijah said, I'm the only one left. You know what God told him? He's like, that's not true. That's a lie. And see, what God did is he readjusted Elijah's thinking. I'm going to show you that. See, it's okay to tell God how you feel. Because God wants to hear your heart. You will never get past discouragement in your life and go to a new level of joy unless you tell God what's going on in your life. You've got to tell him. You've got to tell him. You've got to talk to him. You've got to pray earnestly to him. He wants to listen to you. Here's number three when you're discouraged. God wants to speak to you. See, he wants wants to refresh you. He wants you to speak to him. He wants to speak to you. Look at 1 Kings verse 11. Then he said, this is what God said to Elijah. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Look at this. This is so cool. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Now, the Lord calls the wind, but the Lord was not in the wind. I'll tell you what that means in a minute. And then after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire... But the Lord was not in a fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. If you want to hear the still, small voice of God, you're going to have to sit still and look beyond the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? What does that mean? Now, would you agree with me that nothing in the Bible is uh, coincidental? Would you believe that? Everything is there for a purpose. There are types and shadows and symbols and analogies all throughout Scripture, yes? Old and Testament, they go hand in hand like this. You can't separate them. Even if you tried, you can't separate them. And this is one of those times. This is one of those passages where God was using a type and shadow and analogy here. The wind, the fire, and the earthquake, it all represents something. A wind represents a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. When you read about a mighty rushing wind, a mighty wind, it's a move of the Spirit of God. Pneuma. Listen. it, It is possible... To have a great move of God, of the Spirit of God, and get discouraged. Case in point. Our buddy here. That's what happened to him. So you can experience a great move of God and still be discouraged. There was a great move of the Spirit of God one day, called down fire. hmm and then the lowest place of his life the next day. He wanted to die. When you're doing something for the kingdom. You better not let the move of God be the thing that you look for for your encouragement. You've tracking with me now? Because if you, if you don't. You can't let it do. Because if you do. You, you see we can get too busy working toward the next move of God for our next wave of encouragement. You follow me? Listen, if the devil can't stand in front of us, he'll get behind us and try to push us. If he can't stand in front of us and stop us, he'll get behind us and try to push us. So even when the wind of God is blowing, we need to wait for the still, small voice to speak to us. The earthquake represents God dealing in our lives and shaking everything that's unstable. In the shaking, God wants one thing to stand above everything else, and that is... Your relationship with Him, He will do whatever it takes to get your attention. He will shake things in your life. He will until He's he's the only one left standing for you. That's the only thing that can't be shaken in this world. If it's built on God, it cannot be shaken. Yes or no? If your marriage is built on God, you might go through some hard and discouraging and challenging times, but it will not be shaken. If our church is built on God, we might go through some hard and discouraging and challenging times, but the church of God will not be shaken. Hebrews 11 tells us very clearly that God will shake everything. I mean, he will do a shaking among his people, and he's talking about the church here, the kingdom of God. He will do that. He'll do the sifting and the shaking. Have you ever gone through a time when it feels that everything's just shaky? Oh, shaky. Everything's just fragile. And then there's this people that you've been around where you think they're the strongest people in the world, and they start falling apart. They start flaking out on you. That can be a very discouraging place to be. That's when God says, that's that's when we say, God, you're the only one. You're the only one. I stand with you. I stand on your principles and in my relationship with you. I stand with you. And then there's fire. In scripture, fire always has to do with purifying. And what God does is he purifies in all of our hearts. He burns out the things that are not good for us. Now, can you be in the purification fire process and not not be encouraged? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> it hurts. And sometimes we're in the purification process. The fires turned up real hot. And we're like, God, I can't hear you. I don't see you. I don't know where you are right now. But we have to experience the wind. We have to experience the earthquake. We have to experience the fire. We have to go through these moments, these movements of God in our lives that scripture talks about so clearly. And then he speaks. And then he speaks. That still small voice. If you're discouraged, I'm telling you, you need to hear a word from God. A word from God will be the encouragement that you need. I'm telling you, one word from God can put so much encouragement into you. You know what I'm saying? You can be at the lowest of low, but God sends one word of encouragement and pours that into you. You can fight hell with a water pistol. But the enemy will do everything to make sure that you don't get that word from God. Even chasing the good things. The wind, the fire, the earthquake. He'll do everything to make sure that you cannot hear that still small voice. He'll do everything he can. He will distract you with good things to keep you from the best things that you need right now. And that just reminds me. You remember when Jesus was in the thick of his ministry that it said that he had to pull away often? I mean, he was doing ministry, healing people. I mean, boom, boom, boom. But he had to pull away. He had to get away for, these, for, that, for the reason of finding rest, talking to God, hearing from God. Didn't he? If Jesus, the Son of God, needed that, how much more do we need that? How much more would we need that? Here's number four, and I'm done. So we know he wants to refresh us. We know he wants us to talk to him We know he wants to talk to us, but God wants to elevate us to a new level. To elevate, to pull us up to a new level. Do you remember when I said, we said just a minute ago, when Elijah said, I'm the only one left? And, well, that was a lie. That was a lie. Elijah believed that he was all alone. But look at the reality. Look at verse 18. God said this to him. He's like, bro, I preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or even kissed him. I I have preserved 7,000 other people who have not compromised my name. Listen. Listen. I'm telling you this is why church is so important. This is why relationships are so important. If the roaring lion Satan, he's roaring around like a lion, if the roaring lion can get you separated from the flock and make you feel like you're all alone. If he can lie to you and get you to believe that, he's got you. Now, if you're a flock, if you're in a flock of sheep, does a lion go for the The sheep in the middle of the flock, or does he go for the ones on the fringe? He takes the easy kill. So the best thing for sheep to do is to get right in the middle of the flock. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and get right in the middle and stay right there. And wherever the flock goes, you go. You just stay right in the middle. You get there. And stay close, you just move with it, stay close in relationship to the body of Christ as you possibly can. This is why we push getting involved in a Bible study class. This is why we encourage you to attend prayer services so that you can be around people that encourage you and will pray for you, put courage into you. Elijah, see, he was mixed up with his thinking. He had gotten so discouraged, and in that discouragement, he got mixed up. But see, God did a wonderful thing, and he said, I know you're tired. I know you're lonely, so I'm going to send someone to walk with you for the rest of your life and elevate your ministry to a new level. And who did he send? Elisha. And Elijah and Elisha, they were like-minded and God made them lifelong friends, and boy, they had a powerhouse of a ministry together. Elisha took the mantle that Elijah carried. Did you know that God delights in giving us lifelong friends? Don't you know that delights the heart of God to give us those? See, I've got a few, it's a few. I've never really known it where you just have a lot of really a lot of close friends. It's typically a few people. God is blessed. And you know in my case, he's those few I, I can go I can say this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm feeling. I can sound crazy and off the wall and they won't judge me. They won't worry about me that I'm going to fall off the log anytime soon. But you know what they do? They encourage me. They encourage me and they pray for me and they, and they listen and they talk and we share. And sometimes, you know what they say? One of them said it just recently. Buck up, camper. Buck up, little camper. But they always take care. Anything that we need, they take care and they encourage me. See, there's strength in that. That's a blessing from the Lord. Did you know You'll never be able to accomplish all that God has planned for you if you go it alone. Because we weren't meant to do life alone. We were meant to be in relationship with God first, but in relationship with each other. There's a reason for that. And God wants to do that for you. He wants to raise you to that next level. Put people around you. Even when Jesus sent out His disciples... He sent them out, what? Two by two. They never did ministry alone. Never. See, if you just attend church, if you just attend, you'll grow some. If you get involved, if you get connected, you'll grow a lot. I promise you that. And you'll have fun. So if you want to dump discouragement, anybody want to dump discouragement? Okay. Then let the Lord refresh you. And listen, and here's the deal. I was talking about this earlier. Because we're the ones that we feel guilty. See, we were, our parents, I mean, we just were instilled in us from the, a lot of us our upbringing. We're instilled, it's like, listen, if you got daylight, you're working. You, you, work, you earn your keep, bro. And I tell you, I had better had my chores done when my dad got home, it was not a pretty day. I was very discouraged <laughs> if, I, if, if I didn't do it. So we, we're ingrained. And there's a good work ethic is good. God teaches us. I mean, the, that's a basic Christian fundamental witness to be good. We should be the best employees, the good work, good hard workers. But God also built in, he wants to refresh you. There's times when he's saying, you need to go take a nap, and you're fighting with God on that. And he's like, that's the best thing you can do right now, cranky, tired kid. That's the best thing you can do. I ain't talking to you till you take a nap. I ain't talking to you take a nap and eat some cake. So get refreshed. Talk to God. Tell him your heart. Listen to God, get past all the noise, listen to His, get where you can hear His still small voice. See, because if you're going from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, if you're going from the experience, if you're going from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, if you're expecting this to be all that God, boom, no, God can speak to you here. He will. He, hopefully he is now. But I'm telling you, if you want God to encourage you and pour into your heart, but it's, 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 it's going to be when you're one-on-one with him. Every day, one-on-one with him. And you're not chasing the next move for your next encouragement high. You're not, you're not oh God, I just need to see a movement. If I see a movement, man, that will get me to next month. You can't do that. You'll be, you'll be all the time. And that's no fun. No fun at all. And then we connect with others, get involved, move to a new level of kingdom work for his sake.